and so can you. The show that engages with the canon so that you don't have to. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony. And I'm another of your hosts, Sydney. So today we're picking a very famous, very talented musician and a weird movie from the mid-aughts. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about I already forgot what band we're doing. Marvin Gaye. Oh yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Um, I knew it was I knew I was excited about both things. The film we are doing. It's Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite. Dynamite. <laughs> Let's talk about Marvin Gaye first. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about this because I think that I'm going to like it. I think so too. <laughs> in a in a post-LaBelle world, I do think I'm going to like uh-huh, it. But yeah. I know when we originally put it on the list, I think both of us were a little bit like, oh, I guess we have to. Like, yeah. Have I mean, to. I am a little nervous. I feel like everybody knows like two Marvin Gaye songs. Yes. And I'm concerned that every Marvin Gaye song is just going to be those two songs. Like mm-hmm. we know the two that we know because those are the times that it was the same but better. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I'm a little nervous about that, but like I, I, I think it's gonna be pretty fun, and I think I'm gonna. It's gonna make me feel knowledgeable. Yeah, I agree. I want to see what's going on. Which is <laughs> yeah. a Marvin Gaye song. I'm also excited about it because I mean, excited is maybe a rude way to say it. But I know that there's like a lot of drama around how he died. Oh, I don't know this. I think it's a, a juicy story of music okay. history. So yeah, I don't know. Excitement is probably the wrong way to say it. Mm-hmm. But I, I love a juicy story in music history. So what I have the like vaguest notion that it's juicy and I, I want to know the specifics. I will admit that I have in the past on at least one occasion thought I was thinking of a Marvin Gaye song and then found out that I was doing racism and I was actually thinking of an Al Green song. That happens to me, I won't say with alarming frequency, but it's definitely happened to me no, at I'm, least I'm, once. I'm sure there are things, you know, it's a hazard of the game. We've put ourselves in this position. Right. Where sometimes we're on purpose talking about things that we know we don't know about. And when you do that about things with black people, there's racism yeah. because of history. Yeah, I I'm excited to fix that. Yeah, is what I'm saying. Like I'm I'm looking forward to being able to tell to knowing exactly which ones are Marvin Gaye in the yes. future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah for and being sure. like, okay, I know how that's different. Yeah, in I'm the same way sure that it's Marvin Gaye with the dramatic death and and not Al Green. <laughs> I don't think I've I yeah. don't think I've crosswired it that hard. In the same way that like when we did Donna Summer back in the day, both of us were like, okay, I know who she's not. Yes, but I don't really know who she is. I feel like Marvin Gaye is the male version of that for me. It's more like Diana Ross for me, where it's like, I do know some of what he is and some of what he's not, but the edges are unclear. Yeah. But like I'm saying, I think that is natural for something that's recorded long before our births. Yeah. But I do also recognize that because of racial power structures, Mm -hmm. not correcting it matters more. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's more loaded not to know. And it's also like Marvin Gaye is one of those ones that I feel like we should know. Like when Rolling Stone redid their top 500 albums of all time, put aside the fact that Rolling Stone makes lists that are cuckoo banana bonkers sometimes. But when they redid their 500 albums list, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On topped it. So I feel like it knocked Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band off the top spot. Yeah, so sure, sure, sure. I want to know who that artist is. You know what I will say that I I do know going into this, Marvin Gaye has easy voice. Mm. And you know how reluctant I am to even admit that a man has a pleasant voice at all. Yes, this I is don't true. like to listen to men sing. The threshold of what is an impressive voice to me is so much higher for men than it is for women. Mm-hmm. But he has not only a voice I want to listen to, but an easy voice. Yep. I have no idea how much material there is. It might be more than I it might it might be more than I want to do all of. <laughs> it can't sneakily move into the present because he's yeah. dead. It is a closed universe whatever it is. Yeah. So I'm not even going to venture a guess, but in mere minutes you will know. <laughs> yeah. So, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> this is an interesting one because I feel like it was everywhere. Yes. For like a year and then it was nowhere. Don't, I don't know how I got out of it. Yeah. It was one of those things like Austin Powers. Yeah. That was like, it started as like a few weirdos were really into this thing. And then all of a sudden it was like, and it wasn't like while it was in theaters, it was like, Mm -hmm. it was a slow burn. Yeah. It was like a DVD phenomenon. Yes. Like somebody bought it and just started passing it around. And I, yeah, I really don't know how 
it slipped past. Well, I do know how because I didn't want to watch it because I thought it looked stupid. So who knows if I will. But I, I, I'm excited about this because it is something that I think anyone would assume about me that I know. Both of us. I don't know if I've been consciously lying about it, but I, I think I haven't been correcting that assumption. And I do say my lips hurt real bad, which mm-hmm. surely leads people to believe that I know the film. Yeah. I don't, what do you, do you know anything about it? So I have tried to watch this movie when it was oh, like okay. coming off of its ubiquitousness, specifically because I knew the references were everywhere and I wanted to participate. Yeah, yeah. Very rudimentary version of what we're doing here. Yeah. After like six months of everyone being like, does the chicken have large talons? I was like, okay, I got to know what this means. In Something about nachos? Maybe. Oh, tots. Give me your tots. My sister was home and I was supposed to be babysitting my sister. And I only made it through half of the movie because literally every single minute she would come into the room and interrupt me with something. And I would have to pause it and go deal with it and come back. I would get through another minute. So it took me two hours to watch the first hour of this movie. And I was like, I, I'm done. I can't. This is brutal. Yeah. In fairness to my sister, I think at the time she was seven. So like, Maria, if you're listening to this, don't beat yourself up too much. I'm 100% sure you do not remember this. It was just annoying at the time. Yeah. It was just like bullshit every minute. She yeah. just wanted my attention. Yeah. And so you were like, it would be easier if I just paid attention to my sister. Right. And just like didn't do this right now. Yeah. But I like really wanted to. Yeah. Okay. So that's opposites because I like... It was one of those things that it became like something that everyone, like once it was so everywhere, I was like, no, I don't want to. It can't possibly be that good. The jokes that I'm hearing from it, like it felt like stupid boy stuff to me, like immediately. Like I was like, that's not a funny joke. Saying random words in a funny voice is mm-hmm. not joke writing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the movie is going to be, but that's what, what however old me, I was a snob. Oh, so was I. Yeah, I think we were snobs in different ways, but I yes. this was a thing that 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 really triggered my like I felt I felt too good for this film and I was like I don't I can't wait till this like fucking dies down because people are being annoying about it. I think it was one of those things that caught me at a time where I had just moved back to my adopted hometown from North Carolina after like six months away and like I was now socially out of step and I was like I need to get socially back in step I think subconsciously so I was like this is a way for me to do that that's like very low impact I don't have to change anything about my personality I just need to get you just need to know this yeah film yeah I do think it was a little bit of for listeners who are a little younger a good comp is borat how borat was everywhere for like a year although that wasn't even that much later that was like 2007 2008 yeah i don't know if that's helpful or just like just everyone walking around being like my wife for like a year and then it stopped it doesn't happen the same way now because the way that trends happen is so different than it was when we were kids yeah also there's just fewer comedies or fewer comedies that get super popular yeah so so okay so if you are younger i i just imagine a world in which like access to video is limited like Mm -hmm. the computer screen is not made of videos all the time there aren't many many platforms filled with content right there's hollywood there's just like a few major players in charge of like what is funny and what people are paying attention to and when something caught the public fancy, you just had to get access to that thing. You had to go to the video store and go get mm-hmm. it from the video store. And it, it, everything was just like a lot more um, like pipelined, I guess. Yes. But I think this movie was something that was probably not supposed to be as impactful as it was. Like, I think people really, mm-hmm. I think it was a an indie. It was. A sleeper thing. And people really like adopted it and ran with it. And so that's why I kind of feel bad. I mean, we'll see what I think of it. I might find it distasteful, but I kind of feel bad that me at the time was so dismissive of it because I actually don't think it was something that was like super packaged for mass consumption. I think it was yeah. a, a, a big swing. Yes. And it just happened to hit. So do you think you're going to like it? I'm really not sure. I'm mm-hmm. really not sure. I think I could definitely past me does not and present me thinks that i i might 
be really wrong about that or I might be right because I've seen like clips of it and there's something about the like jocular tone that doesn't always Sit, tickle right? my tickle my beans is what I want to say I was just about to hit that back with oh it doesn't flick your bean but yeah. like that no I, that's a that's a real one yeah I just kind of wish people would I start like, well, I don't but, know that doesn't flick my bean that doesn't flick my bean I but it's what I like about what I said is that I I gave myself a lot of beans yeah <laughs> doesn't tickle all my beans I don't know where the other ones are maybe they're all right there maybe they're all spread out I think you should keep that <laughs> we'll see we'll see how it plays my impression of this movie is that it is the male version of I'm not like other girls I'm quirky yes I'm not like those other guys I like weird stuff like Napoleon yes, Dynamite yes and I don't want that because I don't want girls to do that anyway yeah and I don't want boys, I don't want the boy version of anything. Sure, yeah. <laughs> That's true. So, like, the fact that it is, I think there is going to be some inherent, like, boyitude to this that is, like, probably going to be hard for me because I yeah. just am sexist. Like, I just have this strong image in my head of just a weedily high schooler in a vote for Pedro shirt being like, I just feel like guys, the nice guys just like have a lot to offer and we just always get passed over for these. Yeah, like, but it's like, are you nice? Are they going to be nice guys? Right. I don't Do know. you actually have a lot to offer? Yeah, and I, and like, are you going to be at all fair to your female characters? Like, not sure. However, adult me has softened on some things. And I feel like if I have to watch a movie about by boys, about boys, like I at least do want it to be like underdog weirdos. Like at the time, I think that was like further turn off to me. I think I was like, why are you celebrating this? I think because I felt like there is no room for this in girl culture or mm -hmm. probably in not white boy culture. I don't know. I wasn't there. But yeah. like, oh, isn't that nice for you that you get to have things that become so popular and like dominant and like mainstreamified that celebrate that you're weird and that not everybody likes you and they and and like the things that you aren't good at. Like mm -hmm. other people have to hide anything that they're not good at frantically. Have to pretend to be excellent at everything all the time. Yeah. Like where was book smart 20 years ago? Exactly. Exactly. Or like eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> like you, there, there was, there was nothing that was like, oh, so you're a girl who doesn't get it. Like here's a, pr here's a flag of pride for you. Mm -hmm. And there was abundant stuff for boys like that. There was always stuff that was like, yeah. oh, are you a nerdy boy? Are you an AV club boy? Are you like, are you a boy who doesn't get, are you socially awkward? That's okay. Like mad pride. Mm -hmm. There was always that. And yet every time it happened, all the nerdy boys would be like, this has never happened. Like our day is here. Yeah. Like we've never been seen before. And it's like, okay, like. You get one of these every year. Yeah, like, and I guess I think with this and other things like that, it was like, okay, so you guys go have fun. Like, I, I don't need, I don't need another thing where you're so proud mm -hmm. to be boys, where you get to be assholes because you're not the most dominant assholes. We'll see if it's that. It might not be that. I'm prepared to have this whole thing turned around on me. Yeah, I'm interested to see how much of it is the actual movie and how much is it is like exactly. the cultural bullshit around it. Yes, me. exactly. It's like by the time I was even aware of the movie, there was so much around it that like it was impenetrable. Yeah. But I do say my lips hurt real bad because my lips hurt real bad a lot of the time. Yeah. Okay. So Got we'll jump into the future. Oh. <laughs> we'll jump in. beans. Fractal beans. Sensitive lips. Ladies. <laughs> okay, so we'll jump into the future, and when we come back, you will know what we think. See you there. Hi, friends. My name is John Wesley, and I'm the host of the Sense of Shelf podcast. When you're done listening to the show you're listening to now, feel free to come find me as I talk about books and authors and talk to people about their favorite books and authors. So again, that's the Sense of Shelf podcast. It's available on most, if not all, podcasting platforms. And you can find me on social media, Instagram and Twitter, at Sense of Shelf Pod. Thank you and enjoy your podcasts. Welcome to the future. Hi, everyone. We did all our homework. We did. We did. 
we're going to start, I think, with Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, I think that's great. I feel like there was a vibe in the room when, when we watched it, but I'm still prepared to be surprised by... <laughs> I think I know how this is going to go, too. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. One, two, three. Fuck no, me. No, no, no. But, like, I see it, like, I get it, like, I... <laughs> I see why it was popular in 2004, <sighs> but I also understand why it does not work it now. It just makes me feel like 2004 sucks, but I know that that's not the case. Yeah. I think I said to you after it was done, the not like the other boys energy in that movie is Ugh. strong. Yeah, okay, so Napoleon Dynamite is definitely stupid boy stuff. It is like yes. peak stupid boy stuff. Yeah. That, it is like what I mean when I say that. Yeah. But I'm just going to say some things that I did like about it. Mm -hmm. I really liked all of the design. The design was very fun. Um, I have designed things on a shoestring and I know how fun it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like sometimes I watch things like Napoleon Dynamite or like, I don't know, like Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm like, God, how does anybody design something when they do have money? Like, how do you have a point of view when mm -hmm. you have infinite money? Yeah. So, yeah, I really liked the visual and a lot of the sound design. And I, I did snicker a couple of times. Like, I did think, Some of the physical comedy was kind of funny. Yeah. In spite of itself, it is funny a couple mm -hmm. of times. <laughs> yeah. Much like the kind of person who the main character is meant to portray, it is funny in spite of itself. Yes. Sometimes. Yes. I think the, I don't know, just like the whole thing, like it's whole, like what is it here to do? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, I, do, I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. So to ground our listeners a little bit, the story of this movie is very bare bones. It is the story of a quirky high school student named Napoleon Dynamite. I honestly feel like story is a bit of a stretch. That is fair. The series of bits. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the series of bits loosely strung together in this movie is a series of bits about intentionally quirky person. Yeah, the like romanticization of awkwardness mm -hmm. around that time is exemplified in this film. And I just don't need it anymore. Yeah. Like that's not, that does not a film make. I'm not saying you can't use awkward humor. I, I think that still works. In context. Yeah. But like to build a whole piece of it to be like, this is what what we're doing. We're changing humor mm -hmm. by just like being really awkward and like deadpan and like having long silences and like saying everything really flat. Yeah. That's not innovation. Yeah. And it's not cleverness. Yeah, I agree. Instead of giving a synopsis of the movie, because you're right, it's like five short films slammed together. Sure. Every mini arc has like a button on it. Yeah, I guess there are little stories that are happening. It's just like yeah. not really what I think anybody is showing up for. Yeah. I think they're showing up for the way that Napoleon drinks Gatorade. What I was going to say is I think the first scene, just like first line, first scene really exemplifies the entire movie. You see a 22-year-old John Heater whose eyes are barely open, <laughs> yeah. uh, get on a bus with a bunch of elementary school students, sit in the back, and one of the elementary school students looks at him and very deadpan goes, what are you going to do today, Napoleon? And he goes, whatever I feel like, gosh. And then he takes a fishing line, ties it onto a G.I. Joe, and throws the G.I. Joe out the window of the back of the bus and just sort of holds it there. Yeah. For no reason while so the bus drives like, away. Yeah, so the action figure is skipping along behind the bus. Yeah. And then we cut back and forth between the face of the boy who has asked him this. Just slack-jawed. Yeah, and his face and the action figure several times. Yes. Just to be like, da 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 yeah, end scene. Then he's at school. Yeah, and like the fact that his eyes are closed most of the film, I don't know. It's like, is it... Autistic representation, I like. It I, like, are feels we meant to experience like, him as no. like someone who can't do eye contact? It feels more like just like aggressive apathy and performative disengagement. Yeah, which I don't want to watch a movie about people who don't care about anything. Yeah, if you don't care about it, why should I care about it? 
Right. It's a little bit the dopey problem. Not to the same degree as dopey and Snow White, but like- Oh, dopey. Yeah, it's the dopey problem where like- I thought you said dopey and I was like trying to figure out what that could be. I was like, have I been saying the house elf's name I was just about to go, I say the house elf's name weird. Yeah. (laughs) Dope. Dope. It's dope problem. Dope. (laughs) But the, the problem that we were talking about last time is that dopey is low status and he doesn't realize it. And it's a matter of degrees, but I feel like that is kind of how Napoleon dynamite is like the character of napoleon but i don't think that it's a problem to be low status no and either not care or be happy to be that way but i think having a protagonist who doesn't want to want anything like he Mm -hmm. does he does have objectives yes in the film but he like really tries his darndest to like not let anyone see that he cares about any outcomes. And like, I understand where that energy is coming from because I think that is like a teenage boy experience, but Mm -hmm. it's also a really hard thing to hang a whole movie on. Yes. And other characters will say things about him. Like his uncle says, oh, you know, he still pees the bed. And you're like, does he? Because he kind of seems like he might. Well, yeah. And also like there were- And like, why is that the joke? Well, yeah. And like, I've watched 15 seasons of Criminal Minds. Why does he pee the bed? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like people who like imprison other people and cut their fingers off and stuff. There's like behaviors Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you look for. And it's like torturing animals, setting fires- wetting the bed past a certain age. Like, I think it's just supposed to be like funny and humiliating for him. But I just did feel like a lot of this film was in poor taste. Yeah, it felt like it was punching down. Yes, it punches down a lot. And like in ways that I feel we had the tools to know in 2004. Like, it's not like, oh, it's from another time when Mm -hmm. like no one was aware that racial stereotypes were harmful. Yeah. Like, I don't think we were still saying the our slur yeah in 2004 i think we had all uh i think it changed when we were like in high school and college is like really when it was like it went from oh that's not great to like no seriously don't that's like yeah so yeah that word comes up at least once there are some upsetting racial portrayal yeah napoleon's best friend is an exchange student named pedro who's got this just like i'm not gonna do the voice because i'll get in trouble that's how bad it is yeah okay here's the thing there's a way to have a character that has an accent yeah i agree that there is a way to do it that's not punching down yeah but but this wasn't it but as soon as he opens his mouth you're like oh boy yeah i don't well and i I was going to say that I think the bigger problem is like the family that surrounds him, like every other Latin character. <laughs> it like, doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Like take a second, listeners, just imagine every bad stereotype about Hispanic people you've ever heard, slam them together. That's who the other Hispanic characters are. I feel like Pedro is actually like in the context of this film, which doesn't really take a lot of time to develop like the inner life of any of the characters really. But I actually do think that Pedro is like pretty reasonably developed. I don't think that he's like a rude caricature. If he didn't have that stupid stupid voice yeah like i think he has like again the bar is low in this film but i think he has like like dimensions (laughs) yeah and like skills and flaws and i don't think he's a magical negro for napoleon no definitely not one of the final scenes of the film is the end of his campaign for uh student body president student body president yes and he very uncharacteristically chokes and Napoleon like saves the day mm-hmm. by dancing yes. awkwardly. And I did think that that was a little bit not great. Yeah, which is ironic because that's the most famous scene of the movie. Yeah, like it's 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 crazy to call that dance white saviorism. <laughs> yeah. But like it it's is, definitely white. But it is like it is like very convenient that this that this one character who's been much more confident the whole film, like all of a sudden needs this other character who happens to be white to like bail him out in this way. Yeah. I think there's two things that we've, we haven't mentioned thus far that I think are really important for understanding this movie. Sure. The first is that the writer and director and pretty much everyone who's involved with this movie 
is a Mormon. Yeah, I did not know that until you told me it as the movie was starting. I had no idea. Yeah, and I feel like that was, to me, telling, because I just, something that stuck with me from when I was a teenager, one of the first Mormon people from Utah that I had ever met, told me this story that she thought was very funny about this pizza place in Provo where you had to give your name when you ordered and their version of a fun time on a weekend was going to the pizza place and giving silly names to the people who work there so that they could call out things like Papa Smurf, which is like, yes, we've all been to Starbucks. We know that fun yes. little game. Hilarious. And granted, we were all 16 at the time. So like, I get it. You there's know, not a lot to do. You get your yayas where you can. But there's just something very like sheltered about the sense of humor of Napoleon Dynamite that sort of reminded me of that of like some of the stuff with Kip and his internet girlfriend who happens to be black. And then they just make a lot of like real low hanging fruit. Yeah. Dress this white guy up like a stereotypical. Yeah, that I do not think we can. I do think, again, 2004 might be a little late for it, but that cannot be laid at the feet of Napoleon Dynamite. Like there was a time in cinema when we thought there was nothing funnier than a white person like adopting what we think of as black mannerisms mm -hmm. like putting on black clothes and like talking black yeah I'm doing quotey fingers yeah that was just like such comedy gold for a while yeah <laughs> like i don't know i ugh, what a dark time <laughs> yes i agree like it really was in a lot of stuff it was like i've thought of i've thought of something yeah. What if white people were into rap? I think, though, 2004, you pointed out the other night, like, 2004 is a little bit late for that joke. Yeah. And that's what makes me think, like, oh, you they just- They were just getting to it because they're Mormons. <laughs> well, and that, like, nobody from the little town in Idaho where the writer of this movie is from had ever met a black person, and so right. there was no one around to be say anything other than, like, ha-ha, the height of comedy, and it had just lived- yeah. For years. Well, they are like, nobody in this town knows what to even do with Pedro. Like, they've really, like, never met someone before mm -hmm. who is not white. And the black character, like, arrives on a bus. Like, they from have to, like, Detroit. Like, the only way they could conceive of introducing one of the white characters to a black person is to have her ride a bus from Detroit. There can't, there's not a single one in Boise. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not even in Boise. They're in. Paluka, I think. No, but I mean, also. Oh, right. Like, there's none. She couldn't none. even be from Boise. Yes, yes. I have been to Idaho a few times, and it is a Boise is a lovely city, but it is very white. The other thing I wanted to mention that I think is important to know about this movie, if you've never seen it, is that the line reads in this movie are so bizarre. Just like the general acting style is not only stilted, but also just like slack jaw. Well, but I think that that is really what like caught everyone's imagination. Like I was impressed with how much I felt like this movie explained like behavior in 2004 and 2005 because I didn't see it at the time. People were like talking like that. Yeah. Like it was a joke in itself. Yeah. People were just like doing, oh, God. God. Yeah. Just like, just like slapping that on anything. That like energyless disdain. I don't know how else to describe it. Like neutered outrage. <laughs> yeah. People were really taken with that as a, as a tone, as a modality. Yeah. So I guess it was helpful to watch this and like get some context for that. Mm-hmm. Because it is, like, chock full of that, T to B. Yeah. But I think if it were populated by better written female characters, but had the same tone, mm -hmm. I could see myself falling for its tricks. Yeah. Falling down its little rabbit hole. Yeah. I imagine it might have hit at a time where it didn't really have much of an impact on your high school experience, but did you have a long period of time where people just walked around saying things like, your mom goes to college? Yes. There's like kids in my high school that I'm I'm like reverse engineering right now. I'm like, oh, they just saw this movie mm -hmm. and were like, oh, I see a way out of my terrible personality. I'll just make it this. But it's that it's that wasn't a way out. Their personalities were still terrible. Yeah. I said this to R the other night. Tell me if you agree. I feel like it's like if David Lynch directed a just a straight comedy. No, I do not agree. <laughs> <laughs> because I think, well, 
I don't know. I guess I see where you're going is that it, it has that same, like, it's acting like it's smart, but is it just weird? Yeah, and, like, things are kind of inexplicably off-kilter, like, for no discernible reason other than to be weird. Yeah. And the line reads, a lot of them are very stilted. Yes, which is a David Lynch thing. I don't know. I guess I just feel like... David Lynch always has, like, whatever else is going on, there's always, like, some kind of, like, an edge or an angle or, like, a there's, like, a... I know what you're saying about, like, no, but this is a straight comedy, but I think even if he made a comedy, it would feel dangerous. It would have an undercurrent of something. This yeah. had no currents over or under. I'm just thinking of the, the scenes from Twin Peaks that were played for comedy, and there were a few mm. things like, I got a whole town. But I'm feeling like, I mean, the more we're talking about it, I'm like, without Napoleon Dynamite, like, do we have a generation that is like enamored with The Office? I think so, because I think that we talk about The Office as being cringe comedy, but it's not really. I mean, the English one certainly was. The English one is so cringy. Yeah. Whatever itch the Office and Napoleon Dynamite were scratching, they were clearly scratching at the same time. Yes. I think we should mention that Tina Majorino, the little girl from definitely the movie Andre, where she befriends a seal, and I believe from the movie Waterworld, (laughs) (laughs) is very charming and does a good job, but like isn't really given anything to do. Yeah. I don't feel this film passes the sexy lamp test. You could probably replace almost everyone in this movie with just yeah, a character. lamp with All some lips superimposed on lamps, it. Yeah. Like, honestly, I would watch a version of this where everyone except for Napoleon Dynamite was replaced with an inanimate object. I would watch a version where everyone except for Haley Duff was replaced with. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Do we have anything else to say about this movie? It's who's it for? Uh, awkward boys in 2004. Yeah, people nostalgic for that moment. But there's better cultural like yeah. You know what I realized when we started this conversation? Just watch Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, just watch Wet Hot American Summer. Yes, it is a similar That's style a great movie. Yes, it is a similar notion, but executed perfectly. Yeah, and also like a bunch of bits. Everyone in it is actually funny and like committed and all the bits like go far enough. There is a character in Napoleon Dynamite that I was like. I really wish this was Chris Maloney right now. <laughs> oh, was it the guy who does Rex Quando? Yes. That would have been great if that was Christopher Maloney. Yeah, he would have really sold that scene a lot better. But he probably looked at the script and was like, this is not as good as What Hot American Summer. I don't need to do this. I'm busy on SVU now. Yeah. Oh, there's that awkward thing just to just to add to the list of complaints. There's like a gross uncle. Oh, yeah. Uncle that is, Rico. Like, hanging out with them. And at first I was like, oh, he is just like slimy. But then by the end, he's like really upset a lot of the female characters. He is a, he goes from being just like a sad man stuck in the past to a full sexual predator. Yeah. And it's like, and I don't feel that the movie, like it's supposed to be like, like a little cringy. Like it's supposed to be like, oh no, Uncle Rico. But it's like, no, no, these women he's approached like would reasonably be afraid for their safety in this situation. Yeah, like at one point he literally corners Tina Margarino in the photo studio and was like- Yeah, like like, like you, physically blocks what, her way. What does he say? He's like, you could be beautiful if you had a soft body. Yeah. And then yeah. hands her a pamphlet for like, herbal breast growth supplements yeah and he he comes at well because he he has this like this like breast growth sideline which is like already gross but then he's like he's like coming at teenage girls he like pulls up alongside Haley duff and her little friend in his van yeah in a van it's like i would think that someone was gonna like tackle me in through that sliding door that's because he drives an 89 rapist (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) yes and i say that as a Proud driver of a kind of rapey van. Yes. (laughs) But it's like, I'm not squeamish. Like, if you want to do jokes about men doing the wrong thing, like, that's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. there is a way to do that funny. But this movie, I just could tell that this movie had no idea what joke that 
they were even telling. Yes. You know, it was just like, it was like, oh my God, isn't it so embarrassing for this man that he's like talking to these girls about their tits? And it's like, it's actually very frightening. Yeah. It's very disturbing <laughs> yeah. that this 40 year old man has is approaching this 16 year old girl. Yeah. Like not just because of the body image issues that he's going to give her, but like, because people die like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, did the makers of this film not know that that's, like, a way people die? Like, But that's what I mean. I feel like they no, don't know. I think they don't. I think they really, really don't. They really don't. Because they're Mormons. Yes. Not that Mormons don't die that way. They just, they do a lot of, like, It's uh, a sheltered PR. group. I think you, you say this a lot, and I feel like this movie exemplifies it. It's not in control of its instrument. It succeeds yes. despite itself sometimes. Yes. Usually in moments of physical comedy. And like, you know this about me. I'm a pretty easy laugh. Like I would sure. always rather laugh at a comedy and enjoy something. Yeah. And there were a few times that got me. But yeah, I, I, I snickered a few times. There but, were a few times that were, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but where things were just like the stack of like absurdities mm -hmm. just like lined up right for me. Yeah. And it was like, yes, that's, that's funny. But like, Hanging a whole movie on like this kid dances not very well, but very hard. It's like, yeah, little Miss Sunshine, a little girl. <laughs> you can do that with like an adorable little girl and also like a lot of other storylines with a lot of pathos going on. You can't have nothing happen for a whole movie and then be like, watch this man dance. Yeah. So is it in your curriculum? No. No, it's not. But I understand why it was on the envelope that yeah. we made ourselves. It's like, I just feel like there are more enjoyable things. Like it is, it is very much. A cultural touchstone for a certain generation. Yes, yes. And like, there isn't another thing exactly like, you know, like it is, mm -hmm. it is only it's like, there's a way that I must begrudgingly admit that it's very original. I just feel like for anything that I would want to be like pointing out about 2004, I could just find an example that is less problematic and more fun to watch. Yeah. So if someone approached you at a party and said that this was their favorite movie, how would you feel about that person? Uh, Your face right now. Yeah, I would be like back away slowly. Yes. Not Not because they're a predator, because but because I'm like, you are about to be the most irritating person I've ever yes. met. Yes. I that's why I didn't want to skip this question for this film. Like, yeah, no. Yeah. Nope. That is a red, red flag. Yeah. Ruby red flag. Get away from that person. If we're all spitballing like examples of stuff from that time that like did like I mean, as is always the case. Uh, yeah, like sure. But if if somebody brings it up as an example of excellence at anything, that person is a danger to you either literally or just like they're going to ruin your night. Yeah, I was going to say, perhaps not physically, but definitely socially. Maybe physically, but yes, but certainly they're going to bring down your, your buzz. Yeah. There's no way around that. You guys all know the kind of nerd who we're talking about. Yeah. I'm just picturing the loudest, most opinionated just yeah, I'm just oof. yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is that some of those people that I have avoided in the past because they were so annoying to talk to did turn out to be literal threats. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Not to me directly, but like you know, you find no. out later, like oh yeah, that that guy was a predator. Yeah, because it ruins your summer camp. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not naming names, but he would like Napoleon Dynamite, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, well, then we'll take a brief take a pause. Break. And then when we come back, Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. Hello, everybody. Let me ask you a question. When you were a kid, did you ever wonder what teachers talked about in the teacher's lounge? You probably didn't miss much. It's usually boring stuff like grading papers, lesson planning, and then figuring out the new train schedule. Train schedule? Well, I teach in the city. But sometimes, at one of the not-so-cool tables in the back of the teacher's lounge, you might find us, the Fandalorians, teachers by day, nerds by night. My name is Mr. Richardson, and by day, Mr. McDonald, Mr. G, and I teach and inspire America's youth. But by night, we debate discuss and argue about all things in the pop culture universe on our podcast. 
We discuss all the biggest pop culture topics in the world, like Ozark, Stranger Things, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, Marvel, Star Wars, Top Gun Maverick, The Old Man, Bridgerton, you name it, we'll probably discuss it. You guys watch Bridgerton? Yo, season one of Bridgerton was awesome. You don't know what you're missing. Since we are teachers, you will always get a ton of background information about our topics and original teacher-themed segments, like our pop culture morning announcements, building meetings, and post-observation reviews of shows and movies. Oh, and arguing. You'll get lots of disagreements and arguing, like way more than I'm comfortable with. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for The Fandalorians, Teachers by Day, Nerds by Night. Then join us every Monday as we look into the current state of fandom and pop culture. And look, the bell's about to ring. We need to head to the buses. Hopefully we'll see you guys soon. Well, I mean, they're not going to see us because this is a podcast. I I know, I know. But they can't even see us when you think about it. So they won't see us either. Oh my God, you know what I meant. It wasn't literal. Just ring the bell, ring the bell. The Fandalorians, teachers by day, nerds by night. I hope you listen and subscribe to us soon. I hate you guys. We're back. Yes. In better news. Yeah. <laughs> Marvin Gaye. Yes. <laughs> shall we shall we do the count? Yes. Okay. One, two, three. Loved, Loved it. Loved it. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Had a great time. Yeah. Just so much fun. And I feel like What's interesting is you and I did very different, had very different Marvin Gaye experiences. Yeah, I really gave myself a smorgasbord and I was planning on kind of glossing over some of the Motown because I felt like I already knew it and it's, you know, kind of predictable. And I just from what I know about anyone's journey as an artist, really, like I thought I was going to be a lot more interested in the parts of his career where he had more artistic control. Mm hmm. But I really kind of liked, I just really was kind of grooving on the on the groovy parts. <laughs> I did the opposite where I, I did some of his Motown stuff, but I mostly stuck to everything from the 70s and I guess early 80s because I was more interested in what happened once he did start to get more artistic control. Yeah. He's got a huge discography. I did, I yeah, did not know this going. Yeah, neither of us def- covered it all for No, sure. no, no, no. He, he's got more albums than Tom Waits. Yeah. He has like 26 albums or something like that. He was really cranking it out for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was also kind of the Motown thing. It was just like the goal is to just be on the charts all the time. Yeah. So like, you know, when I say I focused on his stuff from the 70s, that's like five or six albums, maybe, you know, and the other 20, essentially, are from before that. Yeah. There were a couple of posthumous things. And I certainly did not listen to all of them. I also had planned not to emphasize the collabs because you just have to have some way to like, when the the catalog's not huge, you have to have some way to narrow it down. And so I was like, well, we're not talking about Tammy Terrell. We're talking about Marvin Gaye. But then I listened to their album together and I was like, should we be talking about Tammy Terrell? Like, she's so great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They they seem to have such fun together. Yeah. And, And I know he really loved working with her and was apparently like, devastated when she died you can feel that and like i think that's part of what was so fun about their albums is like you can just feel them having a really nice time making together yeah okay so things that i really enjoyed about marvin Gaye. first of all he has easy voice like real and truly yeah because i think when we were listening to what's going on and then i went and read about it later what everyone was saying was so fascinating about the album is i thought it was him and a bunch of backing vocalists with different vocal ranges and what I was reading is it's all him. He yeah. just overdubbed himself like five times yeah. singing five different parts. And I was like, oh, that's what it means. Like your range is bananas and you're just pitch perfect within that massive range. Well, yeah. And like it just sounds not hard. Yeah. Yeah. It just sounds like it's easy for you. That vibe that it's like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Like, why would you ever talk? Why would you ever sit still? Your vocal folds were made your little throat was designed for this. So I, for this project, I also took out the biography Divided Soul by David Ritz to read. And I've only gotten through like a quarter of it. And I'm probably not going to finish it. Probably just just because I don't really like musician biographies. Yeah. Like rock biographies are like rock biopics. Like unless you're doing something really interesting with it, I'm general, I generally. Yeah, I saw the book. It's it's thick. Yeah, it's not, it's not like crazy long, but it is... 
I think a little it's bit. It's too long for what it is. It's a lot longer than when I read the book about LaBelle. Yeah. I mean, his life was also fucking bananas. Yes. That, well, that's um, true. But what I was going to say is, to your point about, like, why talk when you can sing, he apparently almost flunked out of high school because he just, like, spent all of his time instead of studying. He was, like, on the corner with his friends singing. Just singing. He would leave class and, yeah. like, just run out in the halls and then just be, like, scoodly-doodly-doo, boo-doo-boo with his friends. And I was, like, what yeah. are the 50s? Yeah. What are the 50s? Yeah. And everyone was, like, you damn kids with your singing? And he was just, like, hanging out with the wrong crowd because he was just yeah. singing too much. Yeah. And I'm just, like, this is a weird story he was already. Like, he was, like, I got to get out of here and get to the get to the big city so I can just skiddly doop doo doo all the time i mean literally yes yeah. he wanted to be black sinatra apparently i mean he kind of did that yeah but he wanted to like fully be like in a tux and tails singing my oh, way sure. oh, like okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. like literally like literally yeah i'm glad like that... he wanted to sing at the copacabana i'm glad that isn't what happened for him. <laughs> me too it sounds like he always regretted it a little bit but he was like hey it works I found a way that works. Yeah. In addition to having easy voice, the other thing that I like about him is he is, I think he's the first artist we've covered since Taylor Swift who has like such an ins an insight into their own emotional health. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And is like able to put that into their songs, not just like in a vibe, but really say like, these are the things I'm working through now. Like, yeah. I am feeling this complicated feeling. Yeah. And there's like, some really like confessional, like he really, he, he digs deep and he, and he, I think part of the reason his music has persisted and remained sexy. Yes. Is that it is so genuinely felt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are lyrics and observations that are like not generic. Yes. It feels very like personal. Yeah. Like Marvin Gaye is who we wanted Lionel Richie to be. Yes, absolutely. Like when we were talking on our Lionel Richie yes, episode. the whole time I was like, who would listen to Lionel Richie when this exists? Right. And, you know, I had this whole rant on that episode about like, I don't know who he is. He only tells me he likes when his baby is around and he doesn't like when his baby is not around. Yeah. And it's and like Marvin, Marvin Gaye singing about the same things. And yet you totally know who he is. Yeah, exactly. Marvin Gaye is like, here is a song about me trying to seduce you to have sex, but yeah. only if you want to. <laughs> and I'm approaching you in this way because I understand that we are both sensitive people. Yeah, we're and all I, sensitive people. And I don't want to push you, but I do want to be direct in this moment. Yeah. So and like I know let's we get it have, on. We all have hangups. Yeah, we all have hangups about this kind of thing. But like, honestly, wouldn't it be better if we could put that shit aside? Yeah. And just be able to talk to each other like adults. Yeah. It's okay to, it's okay to lust. And I'm going to put that in a six and a half minute song. Yeah. And it's going to be incredible. Yeah. Like people are still going to be talking about it 50 years later. Yeah. The song has so much staying power. And in the before times, I just want to circle back on something I said in the before times, because I was like, what is Al Green and what is Marvin Gaye? The answer I discovered is everything I thought was Marvin Gaye is Marvin Gaye. Everything I thought was Al Green is also Marvin Gaye. Some of the stuff I thought was Ray Charles is also Marvin Gaye. Oh, okay. There were a couple things that I was like, oh, especially the collab albums. There were mm -hmm. a couple things that I remember from my oldies radio, KFRC days, that I just like never knew who sang them that I was like, oh, this one is him. Yeah, like um, I did not know Ain't No Mountain High Enough and Let's Get It On were the same person. I knew Ain't No Mountain High Enough, but there were like four five other ones that sound like that, that I like knew the words to that I could hum along to that are just ever so slightly less famous, but I knew them, but I did not know they were Marvin Gaye. And now I do. Yeah. But I think everything after what's going on, if I knew it, I knew it was Marvin Gaye. Yeah. What's Al Green? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. I, I can't name you an Al Green song because everything that I thought was him was just Marvin Gaye. I was like, okay, there's sexual healing and there's let's get it on. And I thought one of them was Al Green and one of them was Marvin Gaye. And I couldn't remember which was which. They're both Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Okay. So Marvin Gaye goes not full Brian Wilson in 1971, but he goes at least partially Brian Wilson in 1971, where he decides I'm going to start doing whatever the hell I want and then creates some of the greatest albums ever made. Yeah, sure. Okay. Between what's going on and let's get it on, we were talking about which one of those is a perfect album, one or the other or both. And which of those do you think? I think they're both great albums for different reasons. What What do you think? I think 
what's going on is the one that I felt more like never lagged that I just like put on and like I I was never checking like what track am I on Mm -hmm. like I just like I just enjoyed myself the entire time yeah and let's get it on is a great titular track and like I enjoyed the album but I think that is the one that I felt was a little more like long-winded well so like one thing that I was saying about like how much I enjoyed the Motown songs is that I I feel like right now we're at a time in pop music where people understand that a pop song should be two and a half minutes long and like these Motown records also understood that and I really like just like all these songs with Tammy Terrell it's like they just like get it and they do what they need to do and they really cook and then it's like and now we're doing another one and it's like it's fun that it happens that fast and it's like it's like yes I have there's another good song like it's already time for the next good song and in the 70s, I think pop music, not just the like all, across the board. Yes. Popular music really lost track mm-hmm. of brevity being the soul of wit. <laughs> yes. I mean, I said it in our Donna Summer episode. I'll say it again now. This is what happens when you spend an entire decade doing cocaine and quaaludes. Yeah. Got a lot of ideas and half of it's for really slow shit. Yeah. And like sometimes... It's fun to have a nice long song that meanders around and you have a lot of good ideas to populate that song, like sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, like Flying High from What's Going On. Yeah, how long is that song? Like six minutes. It is four minutes. Oh, four minutes, never mind. But there are long ones. Yeah, I just thought of that one because I think that's the best drug song since we did Velvet Underground. Yeah, yeah, I like that song a lot. Since the disappointing knowledge that none of Evanescence's drug songs are actually about drugs. (laughs) Yes, they're about stalkers. (laughs) (laughs) Or their metaphors, even when they are specifically named lithium, the name of a drug. Yeah. I I also listened to whatever has sexual healing on it. I listened to that whole album and I found that to be a little... um, Yeah, that one and sexual healing hits and then it's all downhill from there. Midnight Love. Yeah, I didn't need... I didn't need all of what what went on on that. Yeah. I did not listen to all of I Want You. I listened to some parts of it. Enough to understand that it basically sounds like he just recorded people having sex in the studio and then played music over it. Yes. Like, I do not understand how anyone who was alive for this thinks that music now is like dirty. Yeah, I agree. Like that really struck me with some of the tracks with the sex noises in them I was like I don't get how I don't get it yeah I don't get how any baby boomer is coming at me with like music today is so vulgar yeah I think it's great make as many sex noises in your song as you want it's just like why is there a generational disagreement about it like these songs are very explicit yes there is a song on let's get it on that's literally called you sure love to ball (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that has sex noises on yeah. it. And he's like, you know what? You sure do. I'm all about it. Sometimes it's a little much for me, but hey, I'm always happy to be here. Because <laughs> yeah. again, he is a man of very deep feelings. Yes, very deep feelings. The one that bummed me out. Okay, so I I also made the choice to listen to a playlist, which I usually don't do. Like I usually just either listen to a whole album or I don't because I'm trying to be like really faithful to the artist's intentions. But this man is just so prolific. And I was so, I didn't know what to be looking for like within all of these Mm-hmm. 20 hundred albums so i was sort of like well spotify knows what the yeah. <laughs> important tracks are so let me just and the tracks that they pulled from the album here my dear really bummed me out i didn't listen to the rest of the album but i was like oh that seems like a little bit of a low point for me in his creative expression but you know everybody has their off days everybody has to process sometimes you write an album where you're just processing some stuff and he did that Joanne. a lot Yes. I mean, he did that, famously did that with multiple albums. Like, What's Going On was all about police brutality in the Vietnam War. Let's Get It On was him working out all of his sex negativity and sexual hangups so that he could have a better relationship with his wife. Yeah. That is very clear in the music. Yeah. Apparently, That's a great he way to do that. had a lot of like intrusive sadomasochistic thoughts that he was very deeply ashamed of because he grew up super Christian. Yeah. Not like your normal Christian, like Pentecostal, hardcore, super Christian. Yeah. And he also had an interest in cross-dressing and he found the idea of being a woman alluring. That is a quote from him. And he felt a lot of shame about that. So let's get it on is all about his relationship with his wife. 
I Want You is all about his lusting after someone who may or may not have actually been his mistress, but lusting after someone who was not his wife. And then Here My Dear is the album that he made to finance the divorce settlement from his wife. Yeah. And the album was a complete flop, so he wound up owing a bunch of money and fleeing the country for a few years. Okay. I just, like, don't love when men write songs complaining about how women are expensive. But again, I had I had a really nice time overall. I'm not going to like, like that that just was a part that I was like, you know what? I'm not going to delve deeper there because I'm not enjoying it. And there's so much else of this material that I am really like having a great time with. So I'm just going to follow my bliss. Yeah. And listen to some more Tammy Terrell. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing I like about his songwriting is that not only does he have the like self-reflexive nature of say a Taylor Swift, But he also gives you the idea, and I think this is reflected in his actual life story, that he is like a deeply flawed person and he's aware of that and he's always trying to be better. Yeah. But he's often failing. Yeah. And I I think that's why I like his later music because I like getting that insight into him because like he's a beautiful singer and he's a great songwriter. So like his Motown songs are incredibly catchy and they're really fun. But it's not until like towards the end of the 60s where you start getting like a little bit more of his like emotional depth coming into those songs. Like, yeah, heard it through the grapevine, I think is like a great balance point. Yeah. Of the two. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But I there were a couple of songs on the United album with Tammy mm-hmm. Terrell that I just felt like I have listened to not for a long time, but like when I first was old enough to like set the memory buttons in my parents' cars and like have a, a like vote on what we listened to in the car. I wanted to listen to a lot of Motown for some reason. Like fourth and fifth grade me was like really into that. So it's like, I do have a a, a little bit of like a library of knowledge from deep in my lizard brain. And there were just some tracks on there that I don't remember ever hearing before that had this like really tender quality mm-hmm. that I think because of how well we know of his later work, like I think it's easy to attribute to him that I just like, I just like found them really easy to like kind of sink into. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's a way that they're all kind of like of a piece. Yeah. I mean, um, Motown sound. Yeah. 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 Motown sound. But like, ha- like out of those, there were some that I was like, you know, this is a real winner. This is a real sweet, tender little ditty. Mm-hmm. Good for them. That they, that they like, I, I don't know. There's like a lot of uh, realness in their voices right now. Yeah, he's always capable of great depth of feeling in his yeah. performances. And I mean, that's something else I've heard about him. It's, it's a shame he's dead because I have heard that he was an incredible live performer. Mm. Just like one of the best, yeah. even though he suffered from crippling stage fright. That makes sense to me. Should we? I believe I called in the before times that he had a, a crazy ass death. Yes, and I was actually I just about I to bring say? up the same thing. Yeah, his dad shot him. Yeah. I went and read some more about that, and it seems like it was basically suicide by dad. Yeah, I did not know that about it. I ha- I don't know why I knew. I just like had this like vague notion that I was pretty sure that his dad murdered him, but I really yeah. I really didn't know more than that. But yeah, it's it, a, it it's is tragic. Yeah, it is very tragic. And not to dwell on it too much, but uh also, yeah, trigger warning, I guess. <laughs> yeah, trigger warning. It's about to get gnarly. He apparently was in a deep depression, he being Marvin Gaye Jr. That's that's the famous one. Yes, yes. Marvin Sr. is his father. Marvin Sr. was a bad person. Yeah. Also, Marvin Sr. had no E at the end of his gay. That's true. So when we say Marvin Gaye, the famous one, just you, you just picture, just listen for whether we're saying the silent E or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, also in the book I'm reading, they only refer to him as father with a capital F. That um, is a choice. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> this is why I say I think the book is a little overwritten. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's. Uh, it seems like perhaps the author is in a, a little too deep. But how could you not be if you're going to write a whole book about one person's life? You'd have to be in so deep with them. I well, I mean, he can't was imagine. friends with him. Oh, okay, that he was, makes sense. He was friends with him, that and makes they sense. like worked I together just, like, over can't, years. Like to write a biography on anyone, like you'd have to, you'd have, you have to be a little bit insane, I think. Oh yeah, but apparently, what had happened is Marvin Gaye's dad 
We're just going to call him Marvin Gaye's dad. That's right. going to be Marvin Gaye's dad. Yeah. Uh, Marvin Gaye's dad Marvin was... Marvin Gaye's dad, Marvin Gaye. Yes, exactly. Was incredibly abusive and physically abused his children brutally and would always tell them, if you ever fight back, I will kill you. Like that was something he told them frequently. And so one day, Marvin Gaye in the 80s, he's in a real deep depression. Apparently, a few days before this had all happened, he had jumped out of a moving car in an attempt to end his life and failed. A couple weeks before that, he had given his dad a gun as a present. Yeah, that's pretty... Um, like, for no for no reason. So one day, like, uh, Marvin and his dad got in a fight, and Marvin kicked the shit out of his dad. Like, it, he had never done it before, and just, like, knocked him to the ground and just, like, almost kicked him unconscious. And his dad got up, went to the next room, got his gun, came back, shot Marvin twice in the heart. Apparently, his last words to his brother were, I made him do it because I couldn't do it myself, Mm. which is super fucked up. Yeah, that's dark. Yeah, it's really dark. And a lot of his life was apparently really hard. Yeah. And I think that there was a lot of- a lot of demons. A lot of demons and a lot of shame. Like his dad had a lot of shame too, because his dad was also interested in wearing women's clothing, which again, is not a bad thing, but- Because he grew up in such a restrictive environment, it became bad in their heads. Yeah. And then it got dark, and then it got twisted, and bad stuff. Yeah, just a real, real hard life. He also had a crippling cocaine addiction, Marvin Gaye. Yeah, that feels like a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. When you're that unhappy and also have a really serious drug problem, it's like, Ugh, you can't fix one without Mm -hmm. fixing the other, but you can't fix either of them while the other one's still happening. Right. I am impressed that through all of that, like so many people would just like not even bother trying to be a decent person. Yeah. And the sense I get from his music at least is like, he still kept coming back to like, I think I can be better. Yeah, who knows what he was like to be around, but yeah, his music is not apathetic. At all. Yeah, it's like deeply moral. I think. Yeah, music. and as you've pointed out, even though very horny, not threatening. Oh yeah, no. I just I was thinking today of the difference between being horny and being pervy. Oh yeah, no. I I I never felt like grossed out by any of it. Yeah, like super horny, never pervy. I fe- the only time I felt grossed out was when he was like, mm, "Women want alimony." That's so lame. Right. And even then, it was because he was literally writing the song to pay alimony. But yeah, it was not none of the sex stuff ever. Uh, made me feel weird. Yeah. So who is Marvin Gaye for? People with ears. Yeah. It's of a time. Like it all sounds like the time that it was made in. But it does evolve over time. Yeah. Oh, it definitely does. But like if you know about yourself that you don't care for music from the past, but that's, but get over yourself. (laughs) Yeah. You've said before that you feel like part of the reason you want to do this project is because you don't have a lot of respect for what comes before, but this is just like such unabashed, like, no, it's great. Yeah. Like it's absolutely fantastic. And I think that anyone, what I've heard so often about the Beatles, and I feel like I brought this up with Velvet Underground a little bit is people are like, oh yeah, their sound just like changes so much over time. And like that evolution is what's so fun and important about them. Marvin Gaye does the exact same thing. Yeah, people talk about the Beatles like they changed music by themselves. Like there wasn't good songwriting and then there was or there or there was only like really prescriptive songwriting and then all of us and then the Beatles and then creativity and it's like no. Yeah. <laughs> that's just not. That's just not true. Right, exactly. There was a full juggernaut working in Detroit. For like all of the 60s. Yeah. Pumping out not just Marvin Gaye, but like a whole roster of talent. Point is, if you want to listen to a singer who evolves over time, who gets a lot of creative control and is able to go in a lot of different directions, if you are a Taylor Swift fan who wants to hear yeah. someone Yeah, there's who's a like, lot of really important roots in yeah, this. But it is definitely, it does not feel like homework. No, no, like, no, no. It's the, super the, easy to listen yeah, to. Yeah, I think the reason I liked it is because even though it sounds of a time, it's so like unimpeachably excellent that yeah. it just, current is the wrong word because it doesn't feel of the moment, but it still feels fresh. No, it, yes, it doesn't feel stale. Yes, there we go. 
Yeah. It does not feel stale. Yes, it still I feels smart. That. It still feels insightful. Yes. It's like how I felt. Well, it's a little bit different from Mrs. Dalloway because Mrs. Dalloway was definitely like an assignment, but one I took on joyfully. But I've been thinking for the last few days of like, Marvin Gaye is a great example of why certain stuff sticks around. Yeah. And like why people keep talking about certain artists because it's like, you don't keep talking about certain artists because they're quote unquote important. You keep talking about them because they're universal and they stick in your brain. Yeah. And that's what Marvin Gaye at his best does. And they like moved the needle or whatever. They move the needle and also are moving to experience. You know, it's not just that they're important. It's also that like he's the perfect amalgamation of being important, being talented and being fun. Yeah. 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 It is fun. So I agree. Anyone with ears should listen to Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And if someone approached you at a gathering and was like, Marvin Gaye is the most important thing to me. Honestly, I literally had this happen to me two weeks ago. Okay. Because I was explaining our podcast to some people who I did not know. Yeah. Who I liked fine. And they were asking what we were working on. I was like, oh, right now we're doing Marvin Gaye. And all of these people, most of whom were white, all of whom were pretty nerdy, were just like, oh, Marvin Gaye, one of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century. Yeah. And I was like, that's exactly correct. Yeah, <laughs> That's think, the right opinion. I think I did know, I think I was right about like who he was, but I, I, yeah, I don't think I understood how, like some people, when you go into it, it's like, oh yeah, okay, these are their famous songs and then here's all the rest of their songs. And it's like, they vary in quality mm-hmm. and it's just like really exciting and special when you find one that is like oh all these songs i didn't know are just as good as the famous ones like this person didn't just write the famous songs yeah they did it every time and i just didn't know about it yeah and i want to i want to make sure that i say this on the record because we said it about virginia wolf and we said it about kate bush marvin Gaye is a musical genius sure and i just wanted to make sure that we said that so is he in your curriculum yeah absolutely yeah I feel like he goes in race is complex. I feel like he goes yeah. in what is love. He goes in oh, he school of rock. He goes in what is love. Yeah. He goes like at the top of that. Yeah. It's like him and Donna Summer just hanging out. Yeah. Defining love. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like he goes in the thing that I just made up for Virginia Woolf about like the relationship between mental health and creativity. Yeah, definitely. So if you haven't listened to him, go do it. Like it, it's not even a, oh, you'll feel better. Go. No, you'll, you'll you'll have so much fun. Yeah, you'll have a great time. Try try smashing to it. I haven't. <laughs> yeah. But I I we'll see. You're going to think you want to smash to Let's Get It On. You actually want to smash to I Want You. Okay. There we go. Cool, cool, cool. That's what I'll say. Yeah, I've never really smashed to a man's voice. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I, I, I'd, I'd be... Uh... What a very gay thing of you to say. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see how that goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if I'm being honest, like smash into music, it's been a while since that's been like a priority of like, let's put some music on. Like yeah. that feels very like high school to me. Yeah. But as anyone who's been in my Spotify knows, <laughs> after my big breakup, I started a playlist called... <laughs> I guess I should make a sex mix. So I'm ready for, I, like it has occurred to me that, that that someone might want me to have something to put on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably not going to come from me. Sure. I'm not going to be like, I can't do this until there's music. But if I'm receiving that signal, then on it shall no, go. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with Marvin Gaye. It's not, it's a cliche for a reason. Right, exactly. This is one of the ones that's cliche because it's good. Yeah. Okay, anything else you want to say about Marvin Gaye? No, I don't think so. Where can people find you on TikTok? Oh, at Trash Analysis. Great. I am on TikTok and Twitter at Anxious Archfey, and the show is at Sophisticate Pod. Please make sure to find us on your podcatcher of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, whatever you want. And subscribe, give us a rating, tell your friends, tell your family. And until then, that about does it here for I'm a Sophisticate and so can you. Good night and good luck.